button. Yeah, hit that button, right? Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Theology Live, which is what the show is called now. We dropped the Thursday. We dropped the Thursday. We had to keep it a little classier. I actually, I, I mean, around the office, it's still been called Theology Thursday. Probably 75% of the time it's been mentioned. That, that's true. It's very hard to, to drop. In fact, yesterday, Stan and Kevin each corrected each other at least once and me at least twice when, I, when we all said Theology Thursday. But it's Theology Live. Welcome. Hopefully, uh, everybody. Hey, Stan, could you grab our chat so we can see it? The little uh, chat button down there? Which, yeah, there we go. To our careful listeners. Oh, yeah. Stan. That's not the not normal Kevin name. today. Hey. It's not Kevin. It's Stan here. And his creepy uh, on us in the background. We got an assistant to the stand. We got assist Theology Thursday, uh, Theology Live is blowing up big time. And so, we, you know, we got rid of Kevin yeah. first off. That was our first order we of business. We were hoping to get big enough that we wouldn't, you know, we could just drop him. Um, Especially when we, he doesn't get the sufficient likes and, in the episode. Yeah, and now Stan's on the one and twos and he has, he has you know, some backup with Janos. Yeah. Stan, how you doing, man? Welcome. Doing pretty good. Stan, Look at all those likes. Yeah. We, oh, man. Stan's already Crazy. got four likes. I think it's Stan is the difference. Also, okay, here's, here's the thing. If we don't get 40 likes, oh. Stan is gone. <laughs> but it's also like the price is right. If we go over, you he still lose. Oh, he's, wait, he still loses? He still gets axed. It's got to be 40 exactly. Oh, we got to get exactly. I'm too young to understand your reference. Um, all right. Call your friends, people. Yeah, get some likes for Stan. Hello, Dina and Eric. Good to see you guys. We do appreciate sharing as well. Yeah, actually, that's, you know, we were joking about, well, maybe about the other stuff. It's got to be 40, man. It's a holy number in the Bible, 71240. And if you get six likes, oof, bad news. Yeah. But yeah, but in all seriousness, we would appreciate it if you would share this show on your social media. Just tell your friends about it. It's a podcast now as well. So um, for those of you who prefer that, I know that um, throughout you know, the last couple of years, I've regularly been told if only it was a podcast, so I didn't have to look at you guys the whole time. That's that's true. I wouldn't. That was just what my wife said. That's where Kev. If it was Kevin, he'd go. Wah, wah, wah. Do you want to take a guess stand? about which button it is? I don't know. <laughs> I could just guess. <laughs> no, that seems like that seems like it's going to be a disaster. Yeah, could be anything. Don't don't. Yeah, so we're a podcast. Um, and please share with friends and family. You know, what we haven't done in this season. And I wasn't prepared for this, so I don't have one. But we haven't been seeking sponsorships the way we typically do. No, no, we haven't. I thought about it today, actually. We don't have anything. I don't have anything with me to, like, no, try to. No, but if you'd like to sponsor us. I got boxes us, of cereal. Stan's got cereal. Yeah. I've no. been eating it all week. It's in the office around here. Um, but, yeah, so if you'd like to sponsor us and you make literally any product. <laughs> Especially with caffeine in it. If it's got caffeine in it or it's garlic fish. Garlic fish or some type of fancy carbonated water. Yeah. We're, we're about that. We're open. We're open to that. We will sell out and we are not expensive. No. All right. So we should, we should jump in. Um, we're kind of, t this week's almost a part two. We're in a, a longer series on the Gospels at South Valley Community Church, the church where Isaac and I both pastor. Um, we've got a long Matthew series starting. So we were coming back with Theology Thursday doing a series on the Gospels. And so we started off, and tonight we're actually going to divert from that a little bit and talk a little bit more about Paul and some early church history. Um, but we started the series off by taking on the kind of common claim that Jesus himself, the historical figure, would not have considered himself to be God, would have been stunned and maybe like horrified to find that people yeah. were worshiping him 
And that was an idea that came about way, way later. So last week, what we did, if you didn't hear it, um, was we looked at the Gospel of John, which has the most clear demonstrations of Jesus claiming divinity. But then we, we noted that, you know, most skeptics will say, well, yeah, of course, John thinks that. John's a much later book than last the other gospel Gospels. to be written. Kind of more theological. last week, it's not a part of the synoptic trio, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are the earlier ones and kind of all share the same ecosystem of genre. Yeah, and so it's common for John to like almost get discounted. Like yeah. you don't... You not by Christians, but... Yeah, by Well, skeptics. even sometimes, I mean, like you could read Christian commentaries that I was reading one today and it's just kind of like dismissive. It's like, well, maybe... Yeah. Type of thing. So either way, even even a faithful Christian will say it does reflect a somewhat later, you know, perspective on things because yeah. it is later. We of course still believe it's the inspired word of God, but the skeptic will say, you know, you you're not allowed to use. You're not that doing one. history. I I remember N. T. Wright saying when he was using something from John to argue a point rather than Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Synoptics, he was accused of not doing history mm. at that point. He's just doing theology, and he went out, of course, to argue, you know, that John has. Has the historical roots, but yeah, yeah, that's the argument. So we jumped, we went to the other extreme and just took a look at Mark, which is most likely the earliest gospel. Mm-hmm. Although there are still some who argue Matthew is earlier, but either way, we go to kind of the earliest tradition and showed um, definitively, I would say, that Jesus is claiming divinity in that book. And um, you did a great job of explaining how you're not, you shouldn't be looking in the gospels for Jesus to say, "Hey, everybody, gather around. Want to let yeah. you all know, I am." God. You want to kind of briefly recap? Yeah, what well, you there's said there. two main points to that. One is we're approaching things looking for an answer in a way that we would want to be told it rather than letting a first century Jewish document tell it the way it wants to. So they are doing things, and we demonstrate, you can go back and watch last week, where this is their way of saying, look who Jesus is. He is the person of Yahweh, He is the God of Israel. He is identifying him. He's doing the things that he's done. He's fulfilling the stuff that Yahweh was said to do. And so if you let them do the work on their terms, Mark is explicitly saying, look who this is. Look at who this is. This is the God of Israel. Yeah. And according to their categories, it's almost more dramatic than it would be for Jesus. Just yeah. To say, like I'm last God. week we said the the, in the first century world, if you were to say, is this person claiming to be God? The next question would be, well, which God? We all believe in countless gods and deities and goddesses. So the issue is, who are you claiming to be? And the Gospels are all making the claim that Jesus is making this identification with Yahweh, the God of Israel, revealed in the Old Testament. Yeah, and so we saw some examples of that. We saw things like Mark using Old Testament prophecies that are explicitly about Yahweh, but then applying them to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Things like Jesus doing... God-like miracles and having responses from the disciples. Like when he calms the wind and the waves on the Sea of Mm -hmm. Galilee, they say, who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is a pretty direct invitation for the reader to consider countless psalms and prophecies that make God the only one who can do that sort of thing. And then most dramatically, we looked at uh, the high priest in the the trial of Jesus, where Jesus says that he's the son of man who will be coming on the clouds with power. And um, as we pointed out, the high priest at that point tears his clothes, says he's guilty of blasphemy. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to just really briefly look at Matthew and Luke, um, and then we're going to spend most of our time talking about Paul. Um, And so let's just jump in here, because basically the short version of Matthew and Luke is the arguments we made about Mark also apply to them, except more so. 
Yes. Because they'll do the same stuff. They have many of the same stories. Yeah, if you could do with Mark, you could do it much so more with Matthew and Luke. Yeah. And so, like, one example of that. So there's common stories, like, uh, you know, the paralytic healing is one we looked at from Mark that's in both yeah. Matthew and Luke as well. And um, similarly, you know, he knows that the Pharisees are thinking in their hearts, only God can forgive sin. And Jesus doesn't jump in and say, let me well, clear this up for you. I know, it seems like you guys are confused about what I'm claiming here. In fact, he, he like leans into it more. So that's also in Mark and Luke. The storm calming story that we just talked about, also in Mark and Luke, or Matthew and Luke, rather. And then Matthew um, actually has an additional storm calming type story where Jesus walks on water, and in the Matthean version, uh, Peter also walks on water if with him. you want to sound cool, you can <sighs> say Matthean version. You know what's so funny? You As almost didn't want did to say it. Did you see my face? Like, oh, man, I'm really that dude. No, it's because I knew you would make fun of me. Yeah. I, as soon as I, like, as it, I'm sure you saw it in my face, and that's part of why you struck. Like, yeah. you could smell weakness. Yeah, as you, soon as I said Methane, I was like, oh, this is going to Yeah, well, the one that really works is, is because that's just like a little bit, <laughs> but you could say, for John, it's Johannine. Johannine literature. Oh, you mean the Gospel of John and those three letters at the end of the book? Yeah. No, I mean but, Mark in priority. No, I mean, I mean Johannine literature. It was like I got really made fun of on here. For those of you who've been watching for a long time, when I said um, I pronounced the, the Canaanite god Baal instead of Baal. No, no, I no, said no. Naaman instead yes, of Naaman. I was going to say, no, Baal, I would say that. <laughs> I it's, said Naaman. Instead of Naaman, it's Naaman. I was like, what do you Yeah, I feel pretty bad about it. Yeah. So Here's the one to really look about for. Using those if you want to look for like a, either a snob or just like a first-year seminarian, instead of yes. saying passage or section, they will use the Greek word pericope. Yeah, and here's the thing with pericope. The way that word is spelled, yeah. there, it, there's <laughs> people who get PhDs. I'm no, no joke. You could do your whole academic life and never know that. And you're saying like... Pericope. Pericope and all this <laughs> other stuff. The word looks like periscope without the S. Yes, and then someone just kind of kindly comes over to you. It's, it's pericope. When I was in seminary, someone said pericope in class, and I had read it like a hundred times, but I'd never been brave enough to try to say it. Yeah. And the dude next to me said, peric you know, in this pericope, and first I sneered internally that he would use that word. Yeah. It's a classic academic word. It's got a synonym that everyone knows. You could just say passage, and it means basically yeah. the same thing. But uh, I leaned over to him afterwards. I was like, is that how you say that word? I've never said that word. And he goes, I don't know. That was my first time saying that word. Well, good, good, good so, for him, man. He got it right. So anyway, in this particular pericope in the Matthean account, there's a <laughs> that's good. There's you got Peter walking on water with Jesus, and something in this this one is worth highlighting. I think if you could pull it up here, Stan. Stan on the ones and twos. Let let Check there be no up. delay. Kevin's usually on top of it. We're holding you to a high standard. That's true. You got to be as good as Kevin. And I saw called, what happened to him. That's Axed. true. He's gone. gone. People are going to miss Kevin. Exiled. So you got. Jesus, again, walking on water, and this time Peter walks with him. Um, you can actually see I've highlighted this, that uh, he here also says, it is I, which is that same ego me phrase, I am in Greek. Um, but most specifically here, when it's over, hold on. Yeah, here it is, verse 33. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. So there are a few examples of this. Some of them come later in the Gospel of Matthew. But this is a pretty dang, like, all throughout the Bible, when somebody starts to worship a human or even an yeah. angel, all throughout the New Testament, it's like, don't do that, don't do, like, yeah. You, I mean, you think of, uh, there's, a, there's a section in Acts where Paul and Barnabas are being worshipped as Greek gods, and they yeah. 
they, like the high priest, tear their clothes and say, don't yeah. worship us, we're just humans. And so the fact that Jesus, in this section and others, receives worship and doesn't complain about it or say, yeah. or like... It's a, it's a big deal. Now, oftentimes, skeptics will say, well, you're actually misrepresenting what's, what's occurring, because usually when that happens, the Greek word proskuneo is being used, and proskuneo could mean to serve somebody or just merely to bow down. Right. Um, so it has that range of meaning. However, when you see this take place... Um, it's clearly not in a sense that they're serving someone or bowing down because as you said, when people proskuneo the apostles or an angel, there's a usual cor- correction. Um, the wise men in Matthew, that's right. They go to proskuneo, they serve, um, and they're not like bowing just to show type, some type of reverence. Right. There's something more going on there. Um, so even if you could prove that maybe one or two cases are just showing reverence, like let's say there's someone looking for a miracle and they proskuneo before and they're bowing down to receive a miracle. That's not worshiping Jesus as a God. But in this case, like he just did something godlike, right? And then you bow down before him and there's no correction. Yeah. And a, and a Jewish rabbi like Jesus, if he is receiving worship from people, would immediately stop this. What are you doing? Yeah, Don't worship the, me. Even the angels, like an angel's like, what are you doing? Get yeah. up. Yeah, and so we have that one. Another one I think that is of note, we don't have to look at it necessarily, but famously at the very end of Matthew's gospel in the Great Commission, you have Jesus making the statement that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so there's this Trinitarian statement that happens in that also about uh, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, where they're, you know, Together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all being put in this baptismal mm-hmm. formula. But this idea of him receiving all authority, baptismal formula with the Trinity in it, and then also um, the claim at the end of that that I will be with you always till the end of the age. There's just this ending st- sense of yeah. I am the presence of God People have to do some, some pretty big like exegetical contortions where they'll say it's the Spirit of Jesus, and the Spirit right. of Jesus is... The, the thing that we all tap into when we express love for one another, when, when death occurs and we believe there's something more powerful than the worst that the earth has to offer. And so you get this generic term of some spirit type of continuing, right. but it's like, man, that's sure not what it looks like is, is taking place. And again, with you said with the baptismal formula, you're putting the son and the spirit in some sense. I mean, it's not from that you can't deduce. Right, that alone. Mode, but... In some sense, something significant is occurring. I mean, you would never, ever, ever see anything like the name of Yahweh in the Old Testament and and Moses and Aaron put together right. in a unified, like, tripart system like that. It just yeah, you happen. wouldn't say do X, Y, Z in the name of Yahweh and David and Moses. That would be blasphemy. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think again, just another example. Um, but one, to, your, to the beginning yeah, yeah. point, these aren't ways of doing it the way that we would expect. It's not like, and now disciples, I'm letting you know for certain that I am God, the second person of the Trinity. Right. But it's, you better believe after Jesus said that the disciples are standing in awe. And then when he ascends into heaven in Luke's kind of sequel, that stuff all ties together. Yeah. And we would of course argue, and we'll look at some of this later, that the church from that point on has this incredibly high Christology and the message that's going out from them is, this is Jesus, Messiah, God. Um, So let's jump to Paul, because I want to be able to spend the majority of our time on Paul. And again, if you want more of what we were just looking at, um, watch last week's episode where we looked 
primarily at Mark because almost all of those examples are also in Matthew and or Luke. Now, for Paul, in fact, we got a meme about Paul. You want to throw that Paul meme up, Stan? This is uh, an example of what you'll see out there. This is just kind of a representative sample. It says, this is a famous uh, Rembrandt painting of Paul. And uh, it says, claims to be apostle of Jesus, writes half the New Testament filled with things Jesus never said. Now, we could do many more of these. That was just one representative one I wanted to throw in there. Because Paul, sort of like John, but even more so and in a different way, kind of gets treated as if you can't use Paul Mm -hmm. as evidence. Because Paul, this is me speaking as the skeptic, Paul represents the voice that's doing all this innovation into Mm -hmm. Christianity that you know, with Jesus and the original Jerusalem disciples, you don't have any of this stuff. And then all of a sudden you've got this guy, Paul, who's going and speaking to Gentiles, and he's adding all this stuff mm-hmm. that's not originally part of Christianity. And so the implication is almost similar to the John argument that this is like, this represents later ideas. Yeah, the early stuff was lost. This guy took over. He hijacked it. And so there's an, a couple of problems with that that we can unpack before we start looking at some Paul examples. The biggest one is that it gets the chronology completely wrong and in fact backwards Um, because again if you if you think that Paul is hijacking Christianity or that Paul is kind of like introducing all these later new innovations you're missing the fact that among Paul's letters are the earliest Christian documents we have period earlier than all the gospels now Paul wrote a bunch of letters so there are some that are debated some that are later some that are earlier but even just if you and this is what we're going to do today just focus on the ones that there's like universal acceptability. Yeah, that it was Paul and that they were really early. We're talking about letters circulating among Christian churches closer to the death and resurrection of Jesus than the Gospels themselves. Although, of course, those Gospel traditions could be earlier. Mm -hmm. So, and and not only that, but I mean, we're talking about the earliest ones, like 1 Thessalonians that we'll look at later, is within 30 years Mm -hmm. of the death of Jesus, which is a short amount of time in any time period, but especially in the ancient world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So what's th- what would you say to somebody who kind of goes like, well, Paul, you can't think about Paul because he represents later ideas about Christianity that Jesus himself didn't teach. Well, c- well, a couple things. One, yeah, there's a couple layers. One, we have early writings of other, of the people who are supposedly the real Christian community accepting right. Paul. We have Peter's epistle later saying, Paul's Paul's writing scripture, man. Then in I think I love that though because Peter also says like Paul's pretty hard to he's, understand. He's kind of <laughs> weird, you know. It's like like when people say, "What do you think of Stan?" Yeah, and I'm like, "Pretty he's weird." He's a good dude, man. He's a good. He's a little. I mean, he's a little. I mean, yeah, he's a little weird. I just like to hear he's a good dude because you don't even have to finish it. It's just like included he's in. A good dude, man. He's a good dude. He's, he, he's a good dude. Dot and dot means dot. Well. Uh, and then in Acts, Paul goes to the. the, the there's like a council injury and they're debating all of this stuff. And so it's not as if Paul is completely divorced from the early Christian community, especially the early Jewish community. And then on top of that, as you said, his writings are, are very, very early and no one, we don't have anything from this era of people going, Whoa, this this guy guy is making stuff. I used the analogy earlier, earlier of, so like um, the original trilogy of star Wars, the, the second one comes out 30 years after the fact or something. Or actually... You're talking about the second set of movies. I'm talking about the second set of movies. Yeah, so the J.J. Abrams episode 7 comes out 40 years later. Yes, roughly 40 years later. The, the, the prequels then 
20 something years or whatever whatever maybe tw- between 20 and 40 years yeah. you have new star wars movies being written um now people know within that time frame the original trilogy so much that they don't even change like a character they don't change the identity of a character but they merely change the the dynamics of the idealism of of Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker is supposed to be the ideal I- idealistic person who always believes in the good. They just change like a trait of him. Right. And Star Wars fans within thirty or forty years going, not my Luke Skywalker. This isn't Luke Skywalker. Um, Much he, less you know, than when he, in uh, the second part in the, the second trilogy where he throws the lightsaber. People are like, no, my that's not Luke Skywalker. Now that's just a trait. But imagine if someone were to say something like, Luke Skywalker is not a Jedi. He never was. He wasn't trained by Obi-Wan. It's like everyone is still around to remember the first trilogy. The early Christian community was still around as Paul's writing. And what we see is not this massive fight or anything going on like that between the apostles. You see them there. You see fighting in the other epistles with people who he like in Galatians, he calls them the Judaizers and stuff like that. So there's a fight over the Old Testament's relationship to the new covenant people of God. But you don't have those things going on with in Matthew's literature, no. Matthew's not a response. Luke isn't a response. Mark isn't a response to and, pa- and Peter, literature. Peter doesn't call Paul out. James doesn't call Paul out. John in his epistles doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have anybody who's kind of coming back and saying, whoa, hold on, this is not, yeah. this is incorrect. And I mean, Paul makes claims in his own letters about, hey, I went and met with these guys and we confirmed that our gospel is the same gospel. Like you said, same author as Luke writes Acts and says, hey, this, you know, yeah, Mark, who probably relied on Peter to write the earliest of the synoptic gospels, is in good standing with Paul. Right, and so you've just gotta you you have to kind of take that with a grain of salt because you're going to have people kind of disqualify the you want another one the entire Pauline corpus mm. as if it were. <laughs> I'm going to keep dropping like little. I looked at Janos, so you can use that one later, man. The Pauline corpus mm-hmm. instead of just Paul's letters, which is fewer syllables and clearer, and everybody knows what you mean. Mm-hmm. So all that to say. Um, Oh, and one final point on the Star Wars thing. That's the level of intensity that people have about Star Wars, which is not the central belief system of their entire world. Mm-hmm. And it's in a world where there is so... Unfortunately for some it is. That's true. That's Because fair. when uh, society and culture lack religious structure, they will invent religious structure. And what we're seeing unfold before our very eyes is people creating religious structure out of entertainment, sports, and politics. Man. That's for another episode. Now, if we had on the sound pad, like a, that would have been a good time for it. Stan you cannot note. function without a religious metaphysical structure. You can't even determine right or wrong or direction or tell us or purpose. So yeah. you have to kind of surround yourself with other things and then give them extra meaning in order just to, to cope. Which is forward. hilarious. If you think about star Wars specifically, because it's like a fake fictional Messiah story. Yeah. that people have attached that level of, of meaning yeah. the to. The reason why you're attracted to it is because it's mirroring all these gospel elements. It has resonance with the gospel, and deep down you want that. You have to have a, a Messiah figure that takes out the bad guys. Yeah, whether it's Luke so, Skywalker or Harry Potter. But yeah, so... R2-D2. But what I, was, what I was getting to there is that that is this is a world that's saturated with media, so we have all these millions of things to kind yeah. of focus on during that... 50-year span of time that Star Wars happened, and people still know it that well. But if you're talking about the early Christian community, these are people who are living and dying for this. And if there's prominent letters circulating that are dramatically changing things, there's no way he would have gotten away with it without us 
seeing other examples of mm-hmm. fighting back against it, particularly in the Gospels that yeah, were written where down Where you would later. have seen their response is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are writing after, say, First Thessalonians. They would have highlighted stuff where they were seeing a divergence in theology um, because they do highlight stuff. When they want to when when they want to prove a point, they'll insert stuff like this was done in order to do this, right? And so they're drawing your attention to this. So if the the gospels were concerned about some kind of more didn't mean to hit COVID, but like a more deadly strand right. out there <laughs> type of thing, they could have written in a way to sort of say, "Hey, let's pull this back," but you just don't see it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's jump into some Paul now that we've kind of got that out of the way. Um, any questions about that? Feel free to throw them into the chat or in Stan, the comments. Stan, you got some questions, man? Yeah, how are you feeling about this, Stan? Uh, we don't have 40 likes yet, and I'm just worried about my job, yeah, I yeah. guess. You yeah. know what's brutal, too, is that when you can see the number of watchers, which is high above the number of likes, that's called getting ratioed, by the yeah. way, in Twitter Cause, terms. Because we ha- actually have... 2,732 live viewers right now. That's true, and, and nine only likes. nine people have liked have liked it. So all you almost 3,000 viewers, we just need 31 of you. Yeah, just a, just a few, but don't go over 40. Don't go over 40, or else we're in serious trouble. All right, so let's jump in to uh, some Paul here. Let's go to Romans because this is a really cool example of Paul doing something similar to what uh, we've seen in the Gospels already. If you want to pull this up, Stan. He got, he got one like. Hey, there we go. Oh, yeah. four likes. All right, people. Four likes, People got man. stands back. So starting at Romans 10, verse 9, very yeah. famous passage. Texted his wife, his <laughs> Yanos. Noel Vitus is at home yeah. making YouTube you, accounts YouTube just accounts to like just the page. We've got to pay the red stand. So because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, this is an incredible soteriological passage, but we're just going to skip to the end because this is where the rubber meets the road for Jesus being God. In verse 13, he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you'll notice that's in quotes. Yep. Now, the reason it's in quotes is because Paul is quoting something. This is just a little lesson in how to use your Bible at home. So right here, Stan, you want to pull that up again? See this little footnote at the beginning of that. You'll be able to see almost certainly one like this in your Bible. And if you follow it to the bottom of your page, it'll show you that that's citing Joel 2.32. Click that link. Well, you won't click a link in your Bible, but you go to it, and it says this. This is Joel, Old Testament prophet, hundreds of years before the writing of the New Testament, says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, once again, this is just one more crystal clear example of Paul taking an Old Testament statement that's about Israel's God Mm-hmm. and just quoting it and making it about Jesus instead. Yeah. And the reason I started with verse 9 is because that's where he specifically says, if you say Jesus is Lord, mm-hmm. then you'll be saved. And then verse 13, he's like, Joel yeah, 2. And ag- again, I, I, we're kind of repeating this again and again, but it's so important. You need to learn to read the Bible in the way that it's inviting you to read it. So again, that isn't Paul saying, "Don't hey, Jesus is, is more than a human being. He's quoting word for word a thing about Yahweh and applying it to Jesus in a salvific, salvific sense is one of those other words. Too. Soteriological. We're dropping all these words that just you can be smug with. Rather than talk about it's concerning salvation, you could just talk about it's salvific nature. Or you go, you go super mode and say it's a soteriological sense that yes. he's using it in. Now, we, di- we did get a downvote. 
That's probably <sighs> directed at Stan. I'll just take it at that. That's about Stan. It could be at Yanos, man. Could it's be at from Giannis. Raj. Raj we, texted me. We didn't get a downvote last week. Yanos wasn't here. That's I, true. I see direct correlation. Correlation, causation. Correlation, as we know, equals causation. Yes. That's that's an established fact. All right, let's do another one. Let's keep cruising because, man, it's already almost 8 o'clock. All right. So let me jump over here to 1 Thessalonians 3.13. This is, um again, we talked about this earlier. Incredibly early Prob- New Testament document. This is probably the earliest document in the New Testament. Um, 50-ish AD could be as early as the late 40s AD. So if and Jesus- yeah, really quick to clarify, what we mean is the earliest, not that what it's talking about happened the earliest. So obviously when the gospels are ri- the gospel writers are writing, they're arguing about something earlier than Paul's writing. Right. We're talking about the date of composition. Right. When they actually wrote something down, this is probably the earliest we got. Yeah, and by the, this point, it's established. So here he says something that's very easy to miss. He says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And once again, you see there's a, there's a footnote here leading you to Zechariah 14, verse 5, which is another Old Testament prophecy where it says, And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquakes in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Crystal clear so far. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. So again, it's just the formula there is exactly yeah. the same. And, and I believe in the Septuagint, in the Greek translation, it's even more similar. But it's similar enough that the translator of your Bible knows to give you a footnote to direct you to that. And even if, let's say, it's not saying Jesus is doing the action of Yahweh in the Old Testament, within a few decades, you have a whole idea, a system in place that has another theological word, eschatological outcome. So the end times outcome where this Jesus figure is coming back surrounded with all the saints. Like that is very early. And he's obviously at this point more than a man. Cause right. the argument is that over time, Jesus keeps getting elevated to the point where by the time you get to say the council of Nicaea, he's God. But the first Christians definitely didn't the, think that. The, yeah. And the first, but I mean, within at minimum, I mean, you, we've already made a case that this is identifying him with the person of Yahweh in the old Testament. But even if you don't buy that at minimum, at the very start of thing, there's already a structure in place that has this eschatological hope of a returning more than man figure who is also the Messiah, who's going to be coming back with the saints, the holy ones is the saints. Yeah, and the way they're using that those categories is exactly the same as the way the Old Testament did with Yahweh. Yeah. And you've got now, just that's just two quick examples of Paul doing that, and we saw several examples of Mark doing that, mm-hmm. and Matthew and Luke do the same. So that, those are just a couple examples of those. The last two I want to look at are even cooler in many ways because they involve something that maybe you can explain to people called pre-Pauline creeds. Mm. You want to give people an, a general idea of what a pre-Pauline creed is? Yeah, uh, that, this one's actually, I mean, if you could just break down the words. It's, it's kind of, in a sense, self-explanatory, but it's, it's helpful to bring out some, some points from it, is that if, if Paul is... S- writing and then all of a sudden he begins to almost quote something that sounds as if it's we would say it has uh, some poetic nature to it or maybe it has some maybe a a bad word to use but you'll get it as like slogan almost it it appears as if this is a saying 
The reason why that's so important is if you have someone within 25 to 35 years quoting an accepted saying, that means at that time before the internet, before electronic communication, this saying, this creed, this formula had enough time to circulate among the Christian community where they don't got cars or any of this stuff. This thing has been circulating enough for it to go across enough of a geographical area so that when someone quotes it, there's an acceptance of this, like, oh, we all know yeah. this type of thing. Like, it'd be like, this is a really weak example, but it'd be like how in most evangelical churches, if I say God is good, the congregation will repeat back to me all the time. Or if I were to say, um, we all know what has been handed down to us since the um, beginning of our country, and then I, I start reciting the first sentences of the United States or the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Or... or Let's say ever since this date, I forget the exact date that we started saying the Pledge of Allegiance, but I were to go, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States. Everyone else would immediately yeah. know what I'm referring to. So that creed becomes this accepted thing, but it means that whatever, whenever Paul is writing, that slogan, that creed, that formula has to, at minimum, right. be, I mean, people debate this. I mean, some people would say it would take 20 years, 10 years. Whatever it is, this thing is goes very, very early to the first Christians. Yeah, and so you're so think about that for a second because that's really worth considering. There's a few of them in in the Pauline corpus, mm-hmm. and um, and on top of all that you said, most scholars who know more about Greek than I do will say that when Paul introduces these creeds, it doesn't sound like the rest of his letter, in yeah. in the sense that it's like it's like you're copy and pasting. Some, you know how like you get caught in high school because you copy and paste something into your essay and they're like, that's not you. Yeah. That's these creeds have that feel. They don't flow with either Paul or his, um, you know, whatever scribe yeah, you might be yeah. using. And, and um, particularly, are we going to look at the first Corinthians one? We are. Yeah. Yeah. So it not only if you were reading it in Greek breaks the feel, just as if I was just talking like this and I'm going, Oh, four what score up, Stan, and, seven man? Years and then ago. I would say, we all know four <laughs> score and seven years ago, clearly there's a break in the language, but on top of that, especially in the first Corinthians passage, he actually, the, what comes before it is the setup. He's like, right. hey, I'm about to tell you something that's been handed down to me. Listen up. Yeah. And then Boom. it's highly structured. The first, yeah. let's just look at the first Corinthians one. If you want to pull that up, Stan, this is 1 Corinthians 15, starting in 3. As Isaac said, he starts off by saying, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And so that's, that is a formal introduction to mm-hmm. this idea. And watch how structured this is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now, that's where most people say that creed probably stops. Some people say it might have stopped earlier than that, and that at verse 5, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. But you have this, here's what I received. And you, um, you even see they do, that, they do this in English where they'll say that he was, that he was. Yeah. That they're trying to emphasize something that's happening in the Greek there. And there's this death, burial, resurrection, appearance, kind of four-part formalized structure. And so that whole thing in every way sounds like something that, you know, hey, I'm just, you know, again, like if you're in church and you go to an evangelical church, you're probably used to on communion Sunday, someone says on the night that he was betrayed, yes, the Lord took bread. And after he broke it, he said, so they're, you know, they're quoting scripture, but in your yes. church liturgy, it takes on a different, that's right. Nobody thinks that the preacher is just off the cuff saying that. Yeah. And so similarly, when Paul suddenly says, 
I delivered to you as a first importance. He's just saying a creed. And again, you have this whole idea that, man, the, the resurrection of Jesus, the death of resurrection, the death of Jesus all formalized in that way. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, one of the other important things to note, because this, this is where the claims of the first Christians for the most part are fundamentally different than many of the other religious structures and systems in place in that this early creed grounds the resurrection of Jesus in history. So, and that may not sound like a big deal because we're modern people and it's like, well, if it happened, you would know the date when it happened and who was there. But that wasn't necessarily important for the ancient mind. Did this happen in concrete reality on earth? Right. And so what these first do is like, no, this happened and it happened according to the scriptures and this is who he appeared to. And the reason why it was very important to say these are who he appeared to is that's the, go talk. like yeah, go, go fact check, check me. Go fact check it. And then even way later when we get to the more later type of councils of the church, you have them grounding the crucifixion of Jesus like he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Right. And again, because that's both the Christians in the first century and then hundreds of years later, they're wanting the Christian claims to be seen as historical right. reality, not things taking place in mere mythological dimensions. Right. Because if, if you read the mythologies truths. of other religions, it's all it's you know, it's feels more like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away by design. Yeah. Where the New Testament, it's always it's under Pontius Pilate. It's, you know, in this particular year and place and time. Um so again, that's that's a good example. Now, there's no claim of the deity of Jesus in that one, but that was just the clearest example of a pre-Pauline creed. Now, this next one is, in both of our opinion, the strongest example of a pre-Pauline creed that expresses the deity of Jesus. Yeah. And it's in a very early letter. It's in the letter of Philippians. The latest that it that most that you know, like a reasonable scholar would date it is at sixty-ish AD. Yeah. So again, think about what we said that this is a creed that's already firmly established in the Christian community by the time he's writing 30 years after the death of Jesus, meaning creed probably exists within 10 years. And here's what it is. If you want to pull it up, Stan, this is Philippians 2, starting at verse 6. We can start at verse 5 as the beginning of the pericope. Mm, The Pauline Pauline pericope. This is one of my favorite pericopes in the entire Pauline corpus, I have to say. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> have this in mind have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross this is where it gets really significant therefore god has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that by itself is pretty dang awesome and, like, clear. Yeah. But again, there's a footnote here. And if you jump into the footnote, it takes you to Isaiah chapter 52, where a ton of that exact same stuff. Oh, wait, no, that's not the right one. Hold on a second, Stan. Oh, no, I lost my, hold on. Either way. While, oh, while yeah. you're finding it, I'll preface it with this. Got it. What is being done is so strong. The, the, the claim of who Jesus is is so strong that when you understand what's being done, even as a Christian who you believe Jesus is God, it still kind of is like, oh my gosh, I can't believe the, 
first Christians had the audacity to go this far. Right. Thank you for, for buying me some time and setting me up. But it's true, man. I, it's like, yeah. no, it really dude, is. Can you believe they were within a few decades, they're going this far now? Look now. So pull it up, Stan. This is from Isaiah 45. The, the, the reason that I fell upon the wrong passage is because there's so many references being made in that section that are footnoted. But Isaiah 45, 22 says this, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, for my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Okay, pause. Let's do. Go, let's kind of go through the, the check marks. Who saves? God in the Old Testament. Yahweh. Yahweh. He says, "There is no other God. I am the one who saves, and there is no other God. And this is what people do before my name." Then he says, to me, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so I, I brought it back over here to Philippians to see that Paul takes that incredibly famous phrase from the incredibly famous prophet Isaiah and applies it to Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so again, we can jump back over to Isaiah 45. You see the exact same phrasing. By myself I have sworn, or yeah, first it's, I am God and there is no other. Then to me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. And again, this isn't, it's, uh, it would be enough if Paul was saying this and applying it to Jesus, but it's made even more powerful by the fact that he's saying what's pretty clearly a creed that preexisted him. The first Christians are going around and he's merely, po- he, he uses this to prove his point. He has another point. This actually isn't his point. Right. His point comes before that, and then in order to defend the point, he, he brings this out. Now, again, this is what I mean by the audacity. There's no other name higher than the name of Yahweh. There's no other name. What name could possibly be higher than that? Philippians says Jesus is the name above all names. Because like you would almost think they'd be like, um, well, Jesus shares the name right. of Yahweh or something, like something a little less bold. But it's, no, no, no. I know you all know Isaiah, but I'm telling you, Jesus is the name above all names, which is the, the Paul's way and the Jewish way of saying their identities yeah, Jesus are one in the is same. Yahweh. Otherwise, he's a bla- otherwise, Paul's a blasphemer. Right. And all those first Christians would have been, their minds would have been shocked and there would have been scandal over such a claim. Yeah, and you'd, and again, you would have the gospel authors correcting this in the gospels would, that were written after this. Mm-hmm. If this kind of, and again, it's creedal. So it's not just this one guy, Paul, is saying something crazy. Paul, when Paul injects that whole section from verse six to verse 11, mm-hmm. it's the same thing as that Romans 15 thing where the syntax changes. All of a sudden it feels like a, like a different formalized kind yeah. of Greek structure. So, f- for example, Matthew could have ended his gospel not with Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, but something more along the lines of like, I now um, carry special, unique authority and am Yahweh's messenger, Right. but baptized in the name of him right. type of thing. But at the end of his gospel, with the Pauline corpus out there in the open, he's still saying things like all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so I will be with you. There is never a correction 
to the high Christology that Paul has. In the gospel accounts, there's not a correction to that. There's actually more affirmation to that. And this is why there's something, um, maybe you could pull this up, Stan, on the ones and twos real quick. Um, this, the, I believe this is dated to around 200 AD, but still to prove the point. I might be able to find it for you too. Um, there is Roman graffiti. You need to Google Alexamenos Graffatio. I think is it's 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 in it's in Greek. If you put Alexamenos, it'll it'll be the first thing that comes up. But this is from roughly 200 AD, AD, if my memory serves me correct. And it's graffiti that was done on Roman walls. And it's a picture of a donkey worshiping a crucified. Um, put in, yeah, you're going to ha- put in Alex, the Alexamenos first before the graffiti thing. I got it for you, Stan, if you want to pull my screen up. Yeah, and so what, what you're going to see is a, is a picture of this guy who's, it's basically the Greek name for Alexander. And it says Alexander worships his God, and what you have in this is this this Christian being mocked for worshiping whoever's on the cross. But in, I mean, this is horrific. But it's blasphemous. It's blasphemous. Who's on the cross is a donkey, and and what they're doing is they're mock, mocking Christians by saying, "Look at Alexander the Christian. His God is a crucified jackass," and that is how the Christians are being mocked. So even from their enemies. They're known for having this high Christology. For worshiping the crucified one as God. Yeah. Even the people who think that's dumb can They're identify still Christians. Mocking them. They're mocking them for that. Uh, and that's super, super important. Um, and it shows you, again, I mean, on a, on a very practical level for the Christian living in the world we live in, um, from the beginning, people have thought we're we're crazy and ridiculous because at the heart of the Christian message is that God himself would be crucified on behalf of sinful men. Right. Um, and whether it's 200 AD or 2000 AD, that's a claim that is just bizarre and it, it's foolishness to a world that's perishing, but it's the power of the gospel for those who are being saved. It's like, no, that is the heart of Christianity. God himself in the person of his son, Jesus crucified on a cross for us. Uh, and to an unbelieving world, that's that's nonsense. But yeah. it is it is the the heart of our faith. Yeah, and, and the most to me the most powerful evidence of that is actually in these creeds, because again, Paul is just showing you. He's going, let me copy and paste something that people have been saying since as close to the death of Jesus as that same decade mm-hmm. that he is he is the name above all names, and so. Yeah, pretty powerful. Hopefully between that and last week, you guys have a pretty good idea of the biblical evidence. With the last 15 minutes, I want to jump past the New Testament into early church history just to address a couple other claims. We'll go quick here because um, it's, it's basically just a number of quotes, but it's, it's another thing I want to address because you see it a lot on the internet. The idea that we saw this even last week in one of the video clips we looked at that, you know, hey, we don't get the Trinity. We don't get the deity of Christ until the Council of Nicaea, which is in 325 AD. Um, now, in memes like the one that I could have, uh, Stan, you want to pull up Constantine, the Constantine meme? Now, this is just a ridiculous meme, but you'll see a lot of this stuff thrown around. Constantine's the emperor at the time of the Council of Nicaea. He kind of famously Christianizes Rome. He makes Christianity the official religion of Rome, stops persecution against Christians. And so memes like this one make wild claims like, hey, if you combine Zeus with Krishna— you get Jesus Krishna or Jesus Christ. 
which we don't have time to talk about how dumb that me that meme is. That it's like, <laughs> hey, bro, you think you you think you know something? Let me ch- like flip your reality. Check this out. You ever heard of a butterfly, bro? Bro, butter. Fly, Fly, dude. They've been lying to you, man. <laughs> They've been lying to you, man. I mean, it's just, it's completely bizarre. It makes absolutely no chronological or geographic sense. But the reason I included it is because it's, there, it's, it is a particularly ridiculous version of a very common argument, which is everything that you think of as normal Christianity in the modern world it comes about under Constantine. It's Emperor Constantine who kind of fuses all these pagan religious ideas together, formalizes a bunch of church beliefs, and in you know, the year 325 of the Council of Nicaea gets all the fancy bishops to come together and like make this, parti- mm-hmm. you know, make this the new official way that we're going to believe Christianity to work. You want to throw up Constantine too there, Stan? This is another good example. It's actually a poorly made meme, but it's it says, what if Jesus was just a poor Jewish carpenter and Christianity was a tool used by Constantine to reunite a crumbling Roman Empire? Now, there's some levels to this because that's Keanu saying it. That's true. Who actually played Constantine in a movie not about the real Constantine. And basically played Jesus in a set of movies called The Matrix. Yes, which I'm looking forward to be highly disappointed off of you're, you're looking that just came out. You know what? You of all people would look forward to being disappointed, to being highly by, disappointed <laughs> by, by that. So, yeah, and the reality of it is there's... Constantine was a pagan. He goes into battle and he has yeah, this some kind vision. of vision of the cross. And then they go off into battle with the cross kind of as their emblem. And he wins the battle and becomes the emperor. Now let's give tons of the argument credence and say, dude, Constantine had all these, these horrible motives and stuff like that. He's still bringing together all of these bishops and church leaders from around the empire who have been being persecuted. Some of them showed up like missing yeah. their arms. This is very having, important. Having their scars from where they were tortured for Jesus, for Jesus. And they come up and, and now they're going to, okay, we know Jesus is God. We know there's father, son, and spirit. We're going to try to give kind of this official theological language to something as we'll see with these quotes that have already been clearly. Yeah. The accepted truth of I this mean, high Christology. We spent the, this episode and the last one showing that way be in the in the Bible, you have all of these yeah. ideas already present. Um, but what you just said is really, really important because in the modern world, when we hear Constantine gathered all the bishops, what we picture is our modern conception of what a bishop looks like. So we picture somebody with a fancy, some fancy kind of regalia, mm-hmm. some respect and and you know authority of some kind. Yeah, maybe a cool hat. And they all get to come together and do yeah, this. Yeah, so thing. like in modern. I see it. We ain't getting an invite anyway. Right, for sure. Yeah, we're not even getting. No, we're not. We're not asked to come to that. But bishop is just a formal term at the time. That, but it was not like an office that had that level of respect in the early fourth century. Like Isaac said, and and there are historical accounts of this. When the bishops are gathered by Constantine, this is like the beleaguered, beaten down, persecuted leadership. The Christians would have held them in high regard, and they had spiritual authority and stuff like that. But as far as the the rest of the world, they're just being persecuted many many of them and like i said they're coming with scars to show some of their torture type of and thing. constantine does not we have no historical reason to think that constantine says this is what you make christianity about what he does is say you guys need to formalize and clarify specifically what christians believe but either way um so that's so just you know grain that's of salt 300 325 here's what church fathers were saying some of the church leaders hundreds of years 
they're closer to the composition of the New Testament than they are yeah. to the council. In in some cases, closer to the life of Jesus. In fact, if I can zoom this right, we can even just read some of these straight off of this document. Um, but yeah, so Polycarp. Sig- he's, his How come life- no one's named their kid after Polycarp, man? You get all these Christians naming the good Christian names. I never met a Polycarp. Yeah, you know what? Giannis, you ever met a Polycarp? Is there a Pokemon called Polycarp? Is there really a Pokemon called Polycarp? Jacob Serpa chime in. I feel like there might be. It's like multiple fish. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't either. Do you know why we wouldn't know? Because we're Christians. Because we're Christians. (laughs) So Polycarp writes in 110 AD. This is a side note. In green, you have kind of the main quote, but he also wrote in 110 AD that Paul accurately and reliably taught the message of truth. So you get wholesale like endorsement of mm-hmm. Paul. Also, Polycarp was um, known to be a disciple of John the Apostle. Mm-hmm. So this is a guy who is who is directly connected to John. And you have the quotes like this one. Does it go, John Polycarp Clement? Is that the uh, order? Yes. You know that? Okay. Yes. John Polycarp Clement. Janos um, is coming with the fact check. Is there a Pokemon named Polycarp? Oh, my gosh. He didn't find a Pokemon named Polycarp, but he found a Pokemon card with Polycarp, the church father. Wait, really? Also, uh, Jacob jumped in as I asked him to and said, you're thinking of Magikarp. But that Pokemon card of Polycarp, what's his power? Burn? Oh, that's messed up. That's messed up. Polycarp was, was martyred, and he... He was burned alive, man. Oh, but it says it doesn't do damage because he lives on still in heaven. So, okay, okay. as much as I like this bizarre... And also, you get Polycarp, then Clement, who's a disciple of Polycarp. But you also get Ignatius, the bishop of Antioch, who's directly connected to John the Apostle, too. Mm-hmm. So, Polycarp and Ignatius are both what's, what are known as apostolic fathers. They're like the very first generation oh, after geez. the actual apostles. And Polycarp says... Now may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus and the eternal high priest himself, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, build you up in faith and truth and us with you and to all those under heaven who will yet believe in our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, and in his Father who raised him from the dead. This is in the early second century. We're talking about... Closer to Jesus than they are Nicaea. Closer to Jesus than Nicaea. And I mean close to Jesus. Way close. There are, there are like skeptic scholars who will put John's gospel pretty darn close to yeah. Polycarp's life. Yeah. And Polycarp is within, you know, within 20 years of the disciples all being killed. He's saying Jesus is God. A couple more. Ignatius, all uh, equally early. And by the way, it's so awesome. When you read these quotes, um, the things that we're quoting from, are they sound so much like the Bible that it's crazy. Like they read like like Paul's letters, and it'll be like, this, is, this one is from Ignatius's letter to the Ephesians. It's like the church in Ephesus. And he says, For our God, Jesus Christ, was conceived by Mary according to God's plan, both from the seed of David and of the Holy Spirit. So you've got virgin birth and the deity of Christ, again, in the, in the early, early second century. We don't even have to read all of these. Let's Give just a jump. a couple more. You got that good one, the, uh, the uh, Aslan of Narnia one? The, <laughs> the church father Aslan Osla- of the region of Narnia. The uh, Aslan of Narnia. That's how you'd be. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah <laughs> Aslan of, of Narnia. You know, you're talking about the Aslanian corpus. The Os- oh, dude. Aslanian we should literature. probably start calling the Chronicles of Narnia the Aslanian corpus. Yeah, the Aslanian corpus, the church father Aslan. Let me give one more Narnia. and then we'll, we'll wrap it up because this is, um, 
This is from our boy uh, Tertullian, who's later, but he's also, I want to quote him because Isaac rightly identified him as the person who first articulated the doctrine of the Trinity. And still, Tertullian died, died 100 years before the Council of Nicaea. And he says, and this is the latest quote I have. He says, for God alone is without sin, and the only man without sin is Christ. Why? Since Christ is also God. So we truly could do that all day. Um, There's just quote after quote from these guys who, and these are guys who, like the very first one we looked at, Polycarp, he's going to die for his faith hundreds of years before Nicaea. And he's saying, Jesus is God, period. So all of that just to, to give a definitive, like, when you hear someone say, well, nobody even really knew what Christians believed until Constantine invented the Bible at Nicaea. Like, I've heard that kind of thing pretty much said verbatim on podcasts yes. and stuff before. Just know, By very smart people. By very smart people. People who have big platforms and influence, you'll hear that stuff. And it's one of those things just going, oh my gosh. So what you need to know, and just remember, because you're not, obviously you're not going to remember all these quotes and names and stuff, but just know that it's very, very clear in the New Testament that Jesus is considered to be God from very, very early. And then just as significantly, weirdly, because even though those are historical documents that are very well attested, even for the skeptic, you just go, hey, even after the Bible's finished, within decades of the completion of the Bible, we have really, really legit historical records of the very first church father saying things like Jesus is God, Jesus is the Son of God, which is already expressing Trinitarian ideas to say those two things together. Um, and yeah, by the time you get to Nicaea, all of this stuff is very, very firmly established. Nicaea is about drawing lines around that orthodoxy so that some of the whack ideas that had developed get excluded mm-hmm. and that we have what's closer to what these early fathers believed. So, anything any else to any add? Any final thoughts, Janos or Stan? On the yeah, Stan, what do you want to, how do you want to... I booted Jacob because he said the thing about Pokemon stuff, so he's not on. You know, I appreciate that just on principle. You know, yeah, you had me at I booted Jacob. Well, with the last remaining two minutes, uh, go ahead and put the camera back on you, man. Let everyone say their goodbyes online. Yeah, because clearly you ain't hitting forty likes. Well, I was hoping for a last minute surge. We're looking for it was a good run. Twenty six likes. You never know. So. Uh, we need to get Call 40 likes friends, to keep Stan on board. He's at 14. And if you um, think that we're joking, just wait till next week when Stan is fired. He's not here. Stan's and we not have gonna to re- we're going to have to rehire Kevin, I think. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, these are the things we have to put up with. Hey, as always, at the end Desperate of this times. series, we are going to have a Q&A. So if there's questions that have arisen from this week or last week, if you have th- like points of clarification... Start throwing them in the comments of the YouTube videos or shoot me an email if you have my email, but comments section is great too. And uh, we'll address your questions at the end of the series, which will be weeks from now. But text Kevin, man. You're going to try to rehire him now? (laughs) Other than that, like, subscribe, listen to the podcast. No, no, we're done. No. It's not going to happen. The one downvote you got, it removes a minute of your time. (laughs) Goodbye, Stan. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Hey, thanks so much for being here, everybody. 